well, Brent is gay, and Kaylin's gay, and Clark is gay, and Ryan's gay, and Adam's gay. It's Homo Superior. Issue 174, I'm Kaylin. I'm Clark. I'm Ryan. Adam. And I'm Brent Wingate. And this week, we celebrate the start of Black History Month. We'll talk about WandaVision Episode 4 and how it breaks the loop. Disney Plus has some new Marvel TV shows in the works. And we'll talk about the possibly anti-Semitic image in the current Immortal Hulk comic. And there's, of course, a bunch of news about casting decisions for the Netflix series Sandman, some Thor spoilers, and Marvel's Heroes Reborn. Then we close out with the issues. And, of course, Clark's got something. Watch out. So uh, let's kick off uh, Black History Month. Um, over the course of this month, we're going to highlight some of our favorite creators, producers, um, um, African-American stars in comics, movies, TV, music, whatever. This week, Caleb and I will be talking about two uh, creators uh, or producers that we admire. Caleb, uh, do you want to start? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the person I have in mind is John Ridley, who uh, you may know as a screenwriter for movies like Three Kings and 12 Years a Slave, but he's also made his uh, shift into comics. Um, he started off like about 10, 15 years ago uh, for Wildstorm, which is a subsidiary of DC Comics, uh, for a comic he created called The American Way, which is pretty good, but he's made his way into mainstream DC Comics now. He's got a uh, comic for Black Label called The Other History of, of DC, uh, which focuses on uh, um, African-American and other minority uh, uh, characters, and it's it sort of told in real time. So like the first issue dealt with Black Lightning, and it started uh, him off in the 70s, going into the 80s and he was introduced in the 70s so it's almost done in real time that way the second issue just came out recently as well and it's 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 really it's really good it's it's retro in all the best ways and for future state right now he's writing a book called the next batman which focuses on lucius fox's son not the one that was batwing but the other one uh who has taken up the mantle of batman and it is a lot of fun um john ridley unlike other creators that have come from other mediums uh, really does understand how to write comics well. So I highly, highly recommend his stuff. Uh, if you're a fan at all of, of Batman, of DC Comics like I am, definitely check him out. Um, for cool. me, um, you know, there's a, I think a special status people have for, especially with like comics or sci-fi that they really like feeling that they're in the know. And when you have bigger production budgets, when you have cult classics or actors, producers, whatever, who keep making appearances in a lot of stuff that kind of flies under the radar, I think there's a very high status associated with that. And one person who I see come up all the time is Carl Urban. But I think there's another candidate who I'm gonna put up, which is Lawrence Fishburne because he has worked as like a director, writer, producer, and actor in so many different sci-fi and comic productions that some of like, one of which is the most iconic for him, I think is The Matrix. But like he was also, you know, in The Contagion, a movie I recently just watched, The Signal. I mean, love them or hate them. He makes these movies a little bit better. Uh, Man of Steel and Batman vs Superman and uh, of course, he was also in um, Ant-Man and the Wasp. And I think that he's just kind of like this incredible actor who is known for kind of like 
helping foster the roles in, of other performers and that he's just kind of, he's always this excellent presence in each story he's in. Uh, Kalen. Yeah, I, I uh, wholeheartedly agree about Lawrence Fishburne. I think he's just a really good character actor. Um, and I hated Man of Steel and Batman v Superman, but the one thing they got right was Perry White. I think he completely captured who like the editor of the Daily Planet needed to be. Uh, the sort of like gruff yet very like lovable, like paternal like figure uh, in, in these movies. It's like everything else I think they fucked up, but they got Perry White right. So Lauren Fishburne has a lot to do with that. Well, like also having, it's kind of a shame that we can't like that the MCU doesn't exist in the past because of how good the interaction is between um, um, who is the character Black Goliath in, in Ant-Man and the Wasp. His relationship with Hank Pym was so yeah. well done that I would have loved to have seen like an early, like what's the proto version of this uh, characterization, Ryan? Do you want to see some weird ass old like uh, de aging CGI of them all? Like, <laughs> no, you know, I like, don't want the wasp. <laughs> yeah, I would kind of like just a quick, just a flashback would be the, fun. They would all if, look if the like last this. one. Michelle Pfeiffer like could almost pull it off on her own. Yeah, I mean, it would definitely she, look she like that stop motion animation. The same age. Like you know the She's Rudolph the Red Nose Reindeer stop motion animation. They would oh, look yeah. like that. <laughs> well, you know, Michael Douglas didn't look half bad. Uh, I think in the yeah. sequel, like when they de-aged him. So I think they could do an all right job with it. As long as they don't trom them, I think they're fine. I think we could see that honestly. Yeah. But they did. I mean, they've done it for an entire movie. Like maybe, maybe in five years when the technology's improved even more, because they did it for the Irishman. And whenever they go into the past, Robert De Niro looks like a, like a set of brooms that are being held together by a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, here's an idea. What if, you know, in the way that they did sort of like Clone Wars, where it's like this sort of like stylized animation, what if they did that with like Black Goliath, Ant-Man and Wasp, and they had a, like a whole series like on Disney Plus or something? That'd be kind of fun. I like that idea. Yeah, I really... Yeah. I love the idea of mixed media to keep expanding the MCU. I think that's a good idea. Well, I'm emailing Marvel right now. <laughs> let's yeah, let's pitch that up at our next exec meeting. Is that on Tuesday? Is that yeah? So I wasn't going keyboard. I wasn't going to do mine, but I decided now I'm going to. Um, mine is Michaela Cole, actress, um, writer, and director, creator, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, I first fell in love with her, the British show Chewing Gum, oh. where she plays Tracy, oh. who's this like weirdo virgin, like from a very religious family who kind of falls in love and strange love um, with this idiotic white poet who's just like the worst poet ever created. And it's really smart <laughs> in terms of like the relationship, like obviously sexuality and race and sexuality. And, and as I will I'll mention in a little bit, um, quasi like rape situations and, you know, Okay, when was your finger up for? Oh, I was going to just add to that, but you can finish what you were saying. Oh, yeah. Um, and the th thing she most recently did, I mean, she, she's great in everything. Um, she was in one episode of Black Mirror, the weird yeah. space one. Um, and the most recent thing she did is um, I May Destroy You, which is heavily involved with um, sexual consent. And just, it's it's so well done, but... It is heavy as fuck. The first two episodes, like, try to bring comedy, and then you're like, oh, my. 
It's yeah. really, really, really good. And she just got nominated for a Screen Actors Guild Award, which is why I decided to bring it up today. Um, I'd say watch any of those. She's she Netflix. She, Netflix wanted her to do shows for them, but she wasn't going to get any credit for it. Like she was like even like two percent. So she was like, I'm just going to shop this around because she is a creator, and wow. she wants you know credit for her work and ownership rights of her work, which I find fucking awesome. Um, and now, Kalen, you can do your finger. <laughs> All right. Um, so Chewing Gum is on HBO Max now. Uh, it just came on this week. So it was on Netflix for a long time. And uh, she very rightly said, fuck you, Netflix, because they weren't giving her the credit she deserved. Yeah. And also, I'm glad she got nominated for the SAG Award because the foreign press, which does the Golden Globes, completely like fucked her over because right. uh, I made a story was not nominated for anything. They are shit. I mean, like, goddamn Emily in Paris got nominated for nonsense. <laughs> and, like, I made a story, which is one of, I think, the best shows of 2020. Uh, it is absolutely, it's riveting, it's heartbreaking, it's gut-wrenching, but it's absolutely necessary TV. Um, and I, it definitely deserves all the accolades and, and, uh, and credit it deserves. Uh, one of the writers on Emily in Paris was like, yeah, this is kind of fucking crazy that I may destroy you <laughs> isn't nominated. Like, <laughs> I, I helped make Emily in Paris, and I know that it is not as good as this show. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Golden Globes are uh, shit. Ryan. Okay, with that all said, I think I'll just do mine as well. Okay, Fine. in the same vein as Brent, um, we're talking phenomenal actors that have turned to directors and writing and done other stuff. I would like to throw out because I, like I will always be, am on a Star Wars kick. Carl Weathers in The Mandalorian was literally not supposed to, he was supposed to have one appearance. He was literally supposed to be a creature and it was just supposed to be Carl Weathers underneath it. And then they expanded his role to make him, because he's such a good actor. They said, we don't want you as a weird fucking transdogian or whatever. Like, so they made him into a normal, like a, just a human, as they say in the Star Wars universe. And then he was so with, phenomenal with in quotes. the first season. I don't know why I air quoted human. Maybe because I don't believe them. But anyway, but so like, so he, he was supposed to just have a small role, expanded out. And then in the second season, he actually directed one of the episodes, the one where they went into the the, uh, the former empire, like sort of like base, and then they broke out and then there was like that fun chase scene. Um, he directed right. that one. So like his, uh, I just want to shout him out because I, th I think he's so good. He's such a classic actor that has had such a like uh, great and sort of like, uh, just such a good trajectory because he was like in what 80s movies 90s movies didn't hear from him for a while and now he's back i just love it so much and i love seeing like a director come from acting roots like that clark my favorite him. role of his is when he plays himself in arrested development who's acting coach is so fucking good in it that's so good just that's just him like literally you, you just everything. take that you just take um, a ham bone, add some water to it, boom, you get yourself a stew. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Adam, are we going to not do Adam, yours? Do you I, got, I got, yeah, there goes our month. We'll just do it all in one day, I guess. Well, we can do other things, too. Adam, while you, while you, do you need a stall for no, a second? No, I already <laughs> have one. I don't have, I think, as illustrious. I just, 
they're not as illustrious of a description since I was uh, sort of assuming I would do it later in the month, but uh, uh, Issa Rae just stands out as such a content creator uh, that is so thoughtful, so smart, so funny, and just seems like such a wonderful person as well. And she made the Lovebirds funny, which was very difficult because that movie wasn't good, but her and Gianni were were very good in it. Um, And it's, you know, I just, just everything about her from an image perspective and just what she's, I think she's bringing to entertainment um, is is excellent. And uh, Larry Wilmore actually, I think is also deserved a shout out because I think they're kind of have, they definitely, I know he definitely helped drive the creation for Insecure, which is one of my favorite uh, TV shows in the past, I don't know, probably forever. I just, it, there's just so many good moments in it. The emotional moments are very heavy, uh, but also it's hilarious. And all the characters are like fully built out in a lot of like everyday situations. So uh, really just, I can't wait to see more from, from her and really everyone that we talked about, because I think they're just phenomenal. Um, so we will have more to celebrate um, as Black History Month goes on. Um, there's obviously tons to celebrate and deserves attention. Um, but moving on, um, we'll talk now about WandaVision. Um, so in this episode four, uh, we interrupt this program. Uh, we're back from the blip and Monica Rambo has just reappeared only to discover that she's been gone for five years and her mother passed away three years ago. Uh, she's putting on a missing persons case leading to the weird world within and around Westview. Uh, Apparently every government organization and supporting film character in the MCU swarms the bubble to figure out what's going on. Um, With that, what did you guys think of the episode as kind of a recap of the prior three? Kaylin. So uh, this is definitely a mystery box show in its own right. Um, And much like I think the most famous mystery box show Lost, Uh, This was like episode five to me from the first season. If y'all remember, this is spoilers for a show that came out 16 years ago. So if you haven't watched Lost, turn it off now. But when you find out that Locke has been in a wheelchair until he gets to the island, and then it completely recontextualizes everything that you've seen before, that's what this episode did for me. Uh, I loved it, but the first five minutes when you see Monica getting uh, unblipped, like coming back from wherever she was, uh, was one of the most amazing and harrowing scenes because we haven't really seen the proper aftermath of when these folks came back uh, at the end of Endgame. Uh, Spider-Man dealt with it a little bit in a humorous way, but dealing with the trauma, I think um, like we haven't seen enough of it. And like that, those first five minutes, I was literally breathless. I was like, oh my God, oh my God, they're actually doing this. Uh, I can't believe it. This is so wonderful and it's really, really hard to watch, but it's great. Ryan? Totally agree. It's um, it's the first time we actually saw them physically like redust, undust. I don't know what the right term is, but like redust. unsnap, super snap. I don't know, but it's it's fun because it that aside, like this is the first time we're seeing the MCU post in game and like, I, I don't I know me personally and I've gotten like a lot of texts and messages just saying like it's so nice that this world is back and like the building out of sword like and just seeing all these certain things like we can just start theorizing and enjoying uh, the MCU content again I it, it was an okay episode but just to be in that world again for a second 
uh, is fun. And just seeing this mix mash of all these different characters from different like movies and, and like just come together. I, I really enjoyed it. Clark, then Adam. This made me wish that Spider-Man hadn't come out. Yeah. Yeah. Like this was so much more powerful. I don't know the cheese ball. I mean, I like that movie a lot, but it it this was the better follow up. It, it's a it's yeah. these five moments. It's an interesting yeah. juxtaposition because obviously Spider Man play more tonally as a concept of movies. They're much more fun and jokey. But I yeah I agree in the sense that I was like, given how heavy Endgame was, it feels like they needed a bit more content of like serious post snap or post snap snap i don't know but it yeah i I really agree that like i think spider because i even like always have to remind myself that that's been the only piece of post endgame content before this and it it certainly it's like you said it's a great movie it really doesn't help the mcu it just helps spider-man as a character whereas i think this is i would have i would have liked to see some of this first before we even kind of had the fun take on on post snap like spider-man because i think i think there's room for both right i think it's a great it's a great uh example of how just like comics different comics or different writers can take different tones on the same kind of world event and i like seeing that but yeah you probably need to follow up a little bit of heavy with heavy before you say oh wait it's actually kind of a funny thing if you think about it in some cases uh brent i think that the i think clark you're right um there is something about show versus tell where in Spider-Man, we have people just describing what's gone on. And this is very much more show uh, where you're kind of thrown in the middle of it. I think for me, you know, we've gotten two very far ends of the distribution on how you could relate this experience that people are having. My sincerest hope though, is that the movies don't, move away from this um that there is so much more to mine right. than just the first moment back or like kids trying to cope with it there is so many additional days weeks gray areas that i think would be very interesting to explore in a movie um and i don't want them to lose it uh Kaylin and clark yeah, I don't think they will, Brent. Um, I think, you know, the show after this will be uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier, then Loki after that. Loki may not actually touch it because of all the timey-wimey shit that's going to be in there. Uh, maybe it will. Falcon and Winter Soldier, I think, definitely will. But I'm going to offer a bit of a dissenting opinion on um, Spider-Man um, Far From Home. Um, I actually think it would have been worse if we had seen this and seen the the like the harrowing effects of everybody being coming back undusted de-dusted whatever and then spider-man kind of playing it for laughs after the fact like for me personally um i i think i could almost see the humorous aspect of it and then realizing how traumatic it can be versus playing it for trauma first and then playing it for laughs later so that's just that's just my my perspective. It was just too soon for me, Kaylin. It was too soon at that moment. I started crying in the theater. Too raw. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, Clark? It, was, it was too much of a brush aside for me. Well, don't forget really the humor about it. it was just there was my, that really there was that really well, emotional is, moment. My younger okay. brother is eight years older than me. Obviously, that's not the, the you know age <laughs> the numbers, but I don't know. Uh, I do, do you think that will be weird going forward? Where you have to like where characters have to culturally 
kind of like relay their age still. Yeah. Where they're like, <laughs> I- I'm 25, you know, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm 30 blip. Uh, as someone who just rewatched Winter Soldier, it's not as weird as it sounds when Captain America constantly talks about how he's 90 something. <laughs> <laughs> Brian? Not to, not to Spider-Man this conversation, but did any of you find it humorous that uh, uh, Jimmy Woo learned the Ant-Man card yes. trick that I was taught? Claps all around. Well done. <laughs> Except Clark, fingered. My favorite moment of the episode was, um, I mean, I think I've mentioned to Kaylin or something. I don't don't fucking know who I talk to anymore. Um, My favorite moment is when they're at S.W.O.R.D. and the new head is like talking about the fact that she's grounded because, and she's like, why, you know, why, what's this protocol from? And she said, it's your mother's protocol. Mm -hmm. And, you know, going through the whole, like, well, this sucks, you know, I don't like this. And then he's like, well, the one consolation is the fact that it means your mother knew you guys were coming back or there was a chance for you guys to come back, which I thought was powerful as hell. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't give it the moment. They didn't give it the moment to like weigh on you. It was just like, if you weren't paying attention <laughs> to a second, it meant fucking nothing. Like, oh, it's just a random line. Oh, she should have gotten so a hologram hard. or something, not just a plaque. No, I don't even want that. I like <laughs> the fact that it's not even her. I, I like the fact that it's not her saying it, but the, the fact that like it, she, doesn't even make any sort of bait. It's just like, okay, I don't know. It, it bothered me a little bit. Kaylin. So, yeah. Um, I was just going to say really quickly about the guy who's now the head of S.W.O.R.D. That guy is marked for death. He is going to die <laughs> and he's going to die painfully at some point. It's just, it's like, my God, he is completely, he's a red shirt just waiting. To, <laughs> Full. Um, to go back to that plaque, Ryan, I, I couldn't help but think of the game uh, Roy in Rick and Morty, where they're like, uh, where Morty gets to be like 55 oh. and they all call him Rocket. <laughs> like she is a photon Rambo. Right. <laughs> like, you gave her a plaque for this? Okay, come on, give her a fucking statue. years of service, <laughs> yeah. Um, oh God. So yeah. What, what were some of your favorite Easter eggs, features? Did you like the return of Darcy? Personally, my favorite Easter egg was them talking about cosmic microwave background radiation because that would have been a radiation you get from a mind stone or a stone that existed before the start of the universe. Clark? My favorite Easter egg was when Darcy says, it seems like every episode they change decade, but they hadn't gone to the second episode yet. So how the fuck did she know that? That pissed me off so bad. Oh, that made me so mad. It made There's no continuity sense. errors yeah. in and out of her reality. I mean, I, yeah. I think I, I don't like the character. Period. Full stop. Like I you. don't. I, I don't. I wish there was somebody better to have played off of Jimmy Woo there. I don't yeah. think she's funny. Kayla, I, completely, uh, yeah. I, I agree with Clark completely. Um, like, Darcy is fine in small doses. She was okay in the Thor movies because the first two Thor movies are not my favorite. So her being the comic relief was, was okay. And I knew she was coming back in this episode. And, like, I think the first few minutes were so perfect. And the scene with Monica in S.W.O.R.D. was so well done. I felt there was a bit of a tonal shift by bringing in Darcy. And it turned too much into that jokey like MCU like stuff that I think a lot of people have some criticisms about. Uh, sometimes the comedy lands, sometimes it's just like, oh my God. It's like when she asked for the, 
the fucking like pods of coffee. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, like just stop, just stop. Like Jimmy Woo, fucking love him. I think Randall Park is fantastic. I think he's so he's 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 funny. He's easy to watch. And I, I agree with Clark. I really wish there was somebody else that he could have worked off of. Right. Sorry, I, I just want to say on the Randall on the humor thing, Randall Park being set up with so many lines that are ambiguous, and then he div- talks all about his life story and like possibly wanting kids made me furious. Stop writing these ambiguous lines for him only to be offered fucking potato chips. Fuck you, Adam. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I, as a person who just rewatched the Thor movies as well, I'm really going through the MCU right now. Um, I did, Darcy really worked, I think, when she had more serious, like Natalie Portman and more serious characters or just people to play off of more. I think like, because Randall Park's also a comic, really, like, something just doesn't feel right. And I 100% agree with you, oh. Kaylin, that I was like, the her, intro, like, I think most of this, the episode is great, but that whole fucking like, I guess I'm not getting my coffee. I wanted to throw my TV out of a window. I was like, this is like, phase one bad like i don't know the writing was just worse yeah yeah, no you're right as a person who just watched the face no but uh, yeah you're exactly right it was it is so rough that like line killed me because it's like a lingering thing it just made me very upset in what was such a quality episode overall otherwise clark is this a trope that exists when you're carrying like a cup of ramen and then you drop it because you see something shocking I've definitely seen oh, that. Oh, totally, totally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that's a specific event, genre. <laughs> um, Why are there so many droppings of ramen? dropping love story. It's Shocking a classic noodles. dropping ramen trope. <laughs> um, so my last question: uh, the show, the episode, kind of is based around the fact that we discover Westview is weird because a uh, FBI. Um, witness protection person has gone missing. Who do you think the witness protection person is? Do you think it matters? Do you think we've met them? Do you care? I think it matters and I don't know who it is. And I care a little bit as long as it features into a ever evolving plot that I've come to enjoy Mm -hmm. these four episodes. My only only ask is that it's someone that would be truly shocking that has not been shown in any sort of way and it would actually give this audience that is already looking for fucking clues all the time like some sort of shock i think we just need that with these series there is commentary that isn't there supposed to be like a luke skywalker moment like there was in the mandalorian there's a giant reveal that's going to happen at some point yeah that is the same as the luke skywalker moment from (laughs) mandalorian season two finale yeah you're Uh, like okay way to spoil it it's fucking luke skywalker (laughs) okay caitlin sorry I think maybe to answer your question, and I don't know how they'll explain it, but I think it'll be Quicksilver, who's both in the yeah. witness protection, as That's well obvious. as who's going to be the revelation of, um, of like that, you know, the, the guest star later on in the season. But it's going to, is it going to be the, like, Fox movie version? Nah, I wouldn't imagine no. Aaron would come back. You think it's going to be the same? Both of them yeah, it'll, it'll, yeah. <laughs> that's a revelation. No, that's yeah. a crossover. Yeah. We're not this gonna whole have... thing was born out of him. Hey, I just want to make out with the alternate universe to myself, Wanda. Can you create yeah. an alternate reality where we do this? 
Sorry, Sorry Clark. No, I was just going to say they're not going to have a character that has never seen the face of a different version of her brother. You know, that wouldn't be, I don't know. That would have no weight for me. Yeah. Isn't that a multiverse expansion though? That... No, I don't want that. Yeah. Do we do? I do not want that to start from here. I don't want, I hate the multiverse in general. I mean, I do like it, but I don't want to see it ever again. Um, I, I don't want to warn you, but there's an entire movie coming out about the multiverse. About madness in said multiverse, I know. Yeah. Spoilers for the titles of movies. So, yeah. I'm assuming everyone was just fucking horrified and vomitous when you just saw like the big hole in Vision's head and he's Ooh. all like pallid. Oh, just, that was great. Yeah, that excellent. Was, that was good. I had my, like, people that I didn't even know watched Marvel stuff, like, texted me and were like, what the, f like, they were freaked out by that moment. That was a good, that was a great moment, honestly. So really good makeup effects. Yeah. How, how are people who haven't watched it before, how do they enjoy it? Or, like, what well, are they thinking? I didn't know that they were watching it. So, when they tapped in, I said, hey, I, okay, great. So, you watched this the whole time? How dare you? What are they thinking? They, they were just really shocked and like slightly horrified by that moment specifically. I That's a good question that I do feel like mainstream or like action junkie fans at this point must also like the show. Is there still as much like kind of ongoing negative buzz of like, what is this shit? Like, it seems yeah. like it should, this was the first like MCU-esque episode I feel like they've really had. So. Well, that's can't... why, as I said, the first three should have been together. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think that um, if you're this far into the show, you probably already have an idea yeah. about what you're invested in. Um, yeah. Once the show is over, uh, we're going to have a full season review where we kind of go over the entire show, its themes, and how we, it, how we think it fits into the MCU. Um, but let's move on to some more kind of uh, newsy discussion things. Um, so there were some Easter eggs in WandaVision that may introduce how the Fantastic Four kind of appears. So for example, for, there's two major examples. Acting director Tyler Haywood, Hayward uh, mentions that half of the astronauts are dusted and still missing. And then we also saw a major piece of machinery being worked on in the background where apparently kind of like anyone can walk in. Mm. Uh, how, what do you guys think of these as being like origins for the Fantastic Four? How do you think this all fits in, Caitlin? Uh, I don't know if it will, but uh, whoever came up with the idea, I hope it comes true because Fantastic Four, whenever they've tried to, you know, update the origin in comics and even in um, the ill-fated movies, no, both no. versions they've tried, it doesn't really work for me because I think it is so ingrained in the 1960s space race that trying to update it makes it just seem a little anachronistic. Making it part of S.W.O.R.D. is such an elegant solution uh, that I hope it comes true. And uh, as I was rewatching the episode today, you know, as you know, when both Monica and the director of S.W.O.R.D., whose name, like, I, I'm not going to remember because he's going to die anyway. <laughs> Don't um, worry. Yeah. When they're when they're walking in the hangar and like when they're working on that ship and they're talking about the astronauts like in the scene right before it, I was like, this. I hope like there's got to be a significance here. Like it's got to be that they, even if they don't introduce the Fantastic Four in in this miniseries, and I kind of hope they don't because I think it'll uh, it'll be too overstuffed like Age of Ultron was. Um, they should at least use that as like a, a, a pardon upon a launching pad. 
for whenever they do introduce uh, the Fantastic Four. Clark? I, I like that idea because um, how involved the scroll are in this creation of sword based on what we saw in captain marvel just the mm. fact that they were involved in that the fact that one of the fantastic four's main enemy is super scroll so like it would be a kind of who created who kind of way that would for be sure and the, scro the scrolls were introduced in fantastic four like issue number two yeah, or three exactly. or something like that so yeah also they're just like for them to go back to that origin of them actually being space-faring people, we need that again. Because in the last Fantastic Four movie, I'm the only person that saw it in the entire world. <laughs> and they literally were just like, went into a weird alternate science dimension. And it just, and then it warped them a little. It was so strange. Uh, um, but I do, to, to go back to Brent's point, I do like that the front lobby is where they uh, they hold all their science experiments and anyone can just walk through, yeah. come come through the door, look at the spaceship first, and then go wherever. Yeah. So Take Sword's a weird not space running walk. a tight ship yeah. right now. So um, I want to say that I I think that um, you know, fuck, I forgot my point. Clark. <laughs> I've never gotten okay. I've never gotten to a fight over Facebook except about one thing. Mm -hmm. that's bad recent fantastic four movie i didn't realize the guy who worked lived in dc for a long time and i'm not gonna say his name um lucas say it. and um <laughs> and, and i guess he worked for sony and we were just bars back and forth i was like this is fucking stupid he's like you haven't even seen the movie yet like it's gonna be a great movie and i still haven't fucking seen the movie shut up lucas but um <laughs> but it it, no, hey, to no, be clear, no. Lucas had nothing to do with the production of the movie. It was just a random person. <laughs> no, he actually worked for Sony, so I was oh, okay. Got it. involved, and yeah. yeah, so he had vested interest in me not screaming at him. But you know what? <laughs> Fuck you. Go to hell. It was, in theory, based on what Ryan says, it's a horrible movie. I just wanted you to say you got into a fight on Facebook with like Jessica Alba or something. Over, she's like, "Why don't you just go see the movie? I'm not even in it, and I think it's Jessica gonna be good." Would, she probably wouldn't support it. She'd just say nothing. I'd get in a fight with Miles Teller in a second, though. Ooh, I met yeah, him in, uh, in Ireland. I met him in Ireland as the movie was coming out, and all I wanted to do was scream at him. Yeah, but he can drum this line any day of the week. Oh, okay. Like, yeah. All right. Okay. I remember. I remember what I was gonna say. Even if the if this isn't like a launching pad for the Fantastic Four, even if it is, it's in the in the line that half of our astronauts are still missing. Mm -hmm. I think is interesting because what it implies about Tony's ability to have correctly brought everyone back might mean something more for uh, the story down the line. And I just thought it's odd that it's like three weeks later and someone hasn't deep lipped. I think they um, have deep lips. They have deep lip, Brent. They just, they're just lost in space. Yeah. That's what, well, I, yeah, that's, that's was, what I got. It's really funny because there was like so much, uh, I mean, uh, where else are you going to get it? Tons of online discussion, especially after this episode of like, all right, what's the actual fucking logistics? And just like the end of Endgame, I don't think there's any real answer from, collectively from the studio or the Rousseau brothers or otherwise. I know that the Rousseau brothers, I think there was like general commentary that they were like, bring people back safely. But to that point, if you were brought back safely, you'd think that you'd check in with your previous employer to be like, hey, I'm not actually missing. I'm still around. 
so it does feel like people are actually still missing or, or like, yeah, did they come back in space? Did people on a plane come back in a plane, et cetera, et cetera? Um, oh, the planes have crashed and those people are dead. Well, what is like the, the worst, the worst one was like, what if you were a single mother feeding your baby and then you blipped and then the baby just fell on? Well, I don't want to think you about that, Adam. Like well, this is like, why they need right, right, Moving on, moving on, that. moving on. It looks like a part of Disney's, Disney's five-year deal with Ryan Coogler and his production company, Proximity Media, will be a Disney Plus series called Kingdom of Wakanda. Um, what kind of stories do you guys want to kind of come out of this series? I mean, it's and all given be dead babies, and <laughs> given given that the production is well underway for Black Panther two, which is also directed by Ryan Coogler, how do you think a TV series could relate well to a film, Kalen? It better be all about Okoye, otherwise I want my money back from Disney Plus. <laughs> uh, but no, I think uh, uh, honestly, I think it'll be like uh, kind of mimic the comic agents of Wakanda where yeah. it'll be like I think focus in on like a, a core group that's not you know if they're going to make Shuri Black Panther the second Black Panther obviously with the untimely uh, demise of uh, Chadwick Boseman but um, I, I think like they'll focus on Okoye they'll focus on uh, oh my gosh Adam you have a big crush on him why can't I remember Mbaku. the character's name Winston Mbaku. Winston I love Duke. you yeah Winston. Mbaku uh, like, I think they'll focus on him they'll focus on some of the other sort of uh, kingdoms within Wakanda as well. Um, I don't know, I think it's great. I'm glad that they're gonna focus in on the actual, maybe the culture and the world building of, of the kingdom of Wakanda. Clark and uh, Adam? It needs to star, star Okoye. I mean, at this point, yeah. I don't really care about um, Shuri anymore after said incident a couple months ago. Oh, um, right. Yeah, I wanted to star her. And as Caitlin said, I do think Agents of Wakanda would be great and bring in some characters that are not not that they're not Avengers worthy, but they you know these characters that we could later make Avengers if if um, the public takes to them enough. They can be Avengers adjacent. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, well, as we talk about in, in thirty minutes. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I know. Yeah, no, I'm I'm very excited about it. I think it's also definitely. I think it would probably be the right move, even if like Ch uh, Chadwick Boseman was still alive for Black Panther two, because I just love the idea of giving more opportunity to build out. Uh, Wakanda, the world, obviously kind of like helping to continue to exemplify black excellence. Like, and the fact that Ryan Coogler is attached to both makes me so excited because uh, Black Panther 1 was so amazing. Like, I just, I think it's the right decision in light of uh, sad uh, in real life events, but I think it'll also pay dividends regardless of what Black Panther 2 would have been. It is supposed to come out before, correct? Or is it supposed to come out after? I think the uh, goal. The, I think it's after. It's, it's just after, after the movie. The slate's okay. already picked. Yeah. I I think I think whatever happens in Black Panther two, those characters, these new characters, maybe even some pre-existing ones, will be the characters in this Disney Plus series. So I don't know if we're gonna get like Atlantis and Namor is like theorized to be part of the plot for the second Black Panther. So if they mix sort of those two worlds of like these two kingdoms like kind of going at each other and then like mixed in some of the agents that come along that way. I think that would be kind of fun, but I don't think we'll know for a long time. And please don't do storm. Oh yeah. Y'all please. Disney. Oh, I, guess, I, will, I, will, I, will, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think it would happen well, either. Black Panther's dead. 
if you're looking at X-Men, I there's something to be said about just like the Avengers, like trying to introduce some characters ahead of an actual X-Men yeah. like content. Probably not right now and certainly not in a TV show, but uh, I, could, I could go for a Shuri Storm coupling. Oh, like <laughs> sure. hooking up? Yeah. I mean if if yeah. Okay. Um it would okay. be nice to maybe introduce Gentle though as a mutant, because he is oh, Wakanda. Yeah. That. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, he's the only Wakandian, like, mutant, honestly. You sound like the most disinterested romantic partner ever. <laughs> but do you want to go out for Apple this weekend? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, I guess I could go for a Shuri Storm. Yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> All right, moving on. Um, in a recent issue of the Immortal, Immortal Hulk comic series, specifically issue 43, a controversial and anti-Semitic panel was included by artist Joe Bennett. The image features a jewelry store with the words Cronenberg's jewelry and a distorted Star of David. Um, there were many, there are many hat nods and or hat tips and homages to like horror creators in the series. And in this case, it was supposed to be David Cronenberg, but it's particularly odd to use the Star of David and then misspell the word jewelry, and also to use the name Cronenberg and think that people wouldn't have gotten the reference without the inclusion of the Star of David. Bennett um, has apologized uh, and took full responsibility, and Marvel uh, also just recently issued a statement saying that this was something they should have caught in editing, they apologized for it, and that the digital version and all reprints will have this changed. So like a couple of questions. Did you guys believe the apologies? I mean, how, how could this have happened? Is it a weird, honest mistake or a QAnon conspiracy in the making? Uh, Clark the first, and Caitlin. The first thing I was gonna say, I thought you were gonna have the opening be, uh, speaking of Marjorie Taylor Greene, and then all this stuff. <laughs> since it's literally well, just I'm... like, since the fact that she's like, you know, crazy anti-Semitic talking and now she's like, oh no, I didn't mean it like that. No, there were no space lasers that are coming and causing forest fires for the Jews. It, it, it's, I mean, it's, I, 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 I don't know. I don't like the fact that this happened. I'm definitely going to read the comic still, but I feel like I'm mildly betraying some sort yeah. of Jewish friends or family that I might have. Um, I don't know if I have Jewish family. That's why I said may have. Um, <laughs> um, the one, hey, the one other thing, and it's oh, fucked okay. up. I don't believe the apology at all. And I think he definitely purposely did this, but he also did spell Cronenberg wrong. Yeah, Cronenberg. <laughs> yeah, so he kind of just misspelled everything. Maybe that was kind of his out. He's like, oh, see, I even misspelled the name. I spelled jewelry wrong, but that was fucked up and, and anti-Semitic. But you know what? Caleb? my excuse. So I don't know if I believe the apology or not. I don't know Joe Bennett's history of he, if he has a history of anti-Semitism or not. Someone, someone more knowledgeably that can, can, can explain to me. My bigger problem is Marvel editorial, because this is now the second time in less than four years where this has happened. If you guys remember X-Men Gold number one, yeah. the first comic, what, one of the first comics we ever reviewed on this podcast, there was a controversy of this artist uh, who was from, I believe from Indonesia, uh, who um, put in anti-Semitic um, elements into that first issue and Marvel had to like fire him. And then like in like subsequent reprints and digital versions of, of that issue, they had to correct it. It's like, how do you do this again? Like mm. how, like, and this one was much more apparent. I mean, jewelry 
the star of David Kronberg. I mean, it's like, it's like, once I looked at the panel, I'm like, holy fuck. Like any yeah. editor worth their salt should have seen this. Like that editor, the, the artist should be kicked off the book. I'm sorry, apology, whatever, like fine. You should be kicked off the book. The editor should be kicked off and be replaced. Like there is just no excuse, especially in this time in the United States, in this time in the world, and to Clark's point of like, you know, you, we have members of Congress who are just putting out absolutely batshit, anti-Semitic, xenophobic, racist, misogynistic, homophobic stuff out there. And like, we're trying to tamp down just the, the, like the, the hatred in America, like this stuff, it's inexcusable. It is absolutely, I have, I have zero tolerance for it. Uh, I, I would second that. I'm mainly just confused. And I mean, I get this is why I don't necessarily believe much of anything based on this kind of conversation, because I'm like, how do you, and I agree with you, Kaylin, that it's like artists writing backwards, maybe just a fucking idiot forgot it. Why, who looks at that panel does it go, and if, if it was your job to literally read these things, panel by panel, confirm it meets standards, do all this stuff. How do you just see that there's an entire L missing in the fucking word? Like, it's just ridiculous. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I think you both, you both said it much better than I could. And yeah, it's just, it's just, a, it was so stupid. Clark? When, when I first saw the image, I didn't even realize what I was supposed to be, not offended by, because obviously, no, I just didn't know what the item that I was looking at were. So the woman is holding a bag to hand it back. And I thought she was doing like, you know, the new white power, you know, white supremacy, like, okay, okay, okay she's not yeah. doing that, her fingers are down, but she's still holding her hand in that exact way. And I was like, let me Google to see if that's a white power thing. So I, I mean, it might be slightly in there too, but it, I don't know. And then obviously I saw everything in the background, which was blatantly offensive. Yeah. Well, it, the star at, of David the, the is- best Sorry, that's what that's the same part. In the best case scenario, it is a really weird place to go to make <laughs> a, a play on someone's name. It is so bizarre and so many things like simultaneously have gone wrong with it that it's really hard to give uh, a Bennett the benefit of the doubt um, when looking at it. Truly. It, it's yeah. too many wrong things to right. not be intentional. It, it reminds it reminds me a little bit of like in 2016 um, in a presidential election, you had like the Trump campaign put out something where they used like a star of David to attack Hillary Clinton. Oh, Hillary, yeah. And then yeah. and then they were like, no, 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 it's like a sheriff star. I'm like, fuck you. That's not a sheriff <laughs> star. You're playing into anti-Semitic tropes. Like yeah. it's just why doesn't it say sheriff in the middle? Huh? No. <laughs> Fair point there, Ryan. Right. Who, who yeah, who's used a sheriff star since like 1860? <laughs> Anyways. I mean um, sheriffs, but yeah, but they don't look like that. <laughs> hey, do, do they really have a star still? Or yes, <laughs> yes. yes. elected sheriffs have stars. No, it's on their phones. Really? It's, it's a QR yeah. code they just scan from their phones. I just figured they have like was, other badges. My father was <laughs> no, a deputy for Arlington County for years, and he had one. Yeah, which really? he still has somewhere hanging out. I just thought that thing would be like, like, oh yeah, let's update this. This this obviously looks like <laughs> ridiculous. Um. Okay, let's move on. 
Um, so um, I was going to do a song with this, but I decided I'm not going to. Um, do boo do boo do boo do boo do boo do boo do. Was that the one? Casting for Sandman. No, it was going to be Metallica's Enter Sandman. He was going to be. Oh, Kalen, no, stop it. Come on. You're better than that. I'm not. Uh, I'm really not. there have been casting decisions for the top seven roles um, for the Netflix TV series Sandman based on Neil Gaiman's graphic novels um, of the same name, obviously. Um, it, Tom Sturridge will be playing um, Dream. Gwendolyn Christie from uh, Game of Thrones uh, will be playing Lucifer, Ruler of Hell. Charles Dance, also from Game of Thrones, will be playing Roderick Burgess, who is a charlatan, blackmailer, and magician. Vivian Achenpong will be playing Lucien, the chief librarian of uh, the and the guardian of Dream's realm. Then Broid Holbrook will be playing the Corinthian. Um, who's father like a just piece died of shit. this week. Then uh-huh. uh-huh. Asim Chowdhury will be playing Abel, and Sanjeev Bashkar will be playing Kane, the duo where uh, they always get murdered. Or Abel always gets murdered again and again over time. Uh, what do you guys think of these choices, Kalen? Um, I am a huge fan of Sandman. I've read the graphic novels a million times. I am so excited for this cast. Like everyone they have announced, like Gwendolyn Christie as Lucifer, especially, is so fucking great. It's giving me a lot of Tilda Swinton as the angel Gabriel in the movie Constantine, which is actually better than you remember it, probably, because it's not a British Constantine, but it's not a bad movie. Um, but the thing I'm most excited about is Neil Gaiman is an executive producer. He is not the showrunner. Alan Heinberg, who has who created the Young Avengers, uh, mm-hmm. is uh, gay himself and has written for both TV and comics, uh, is going to be the showrunner. So I feel like they have found somebody who understands both mediums, both media, and uh, uh, has done a pretty good job in the shows that he's worked on, including Looking, Sex and the City, The O.C., uh, to actually give this the um, the attention it deserves. Clark? Um, there's two things I was going to say. I love Sanjeev Baskar, who was, as it says in yesterday, but um, he was in EastEnders, the British soap opera, for like seven years. And I completely fucking loved him in that. He was a complete schmo, but he could play comedy and drama really well. Um, and uh, now I'm going to see him in like some crazy cane. Like, you know, that's not exactly the schmo role. Um, number two is that as of last week, also, they announced the second season of the Audible Sandman. And it's just interesting that we're going to have two totally different casts at the same time <laughs> doing these, yeah. these characters. Totally For different, sure. like, you know, makeup. I can guarantee the Audible one will not be as sexy as the other cast. I, I finally, <laughs> I, ha- I, I bought it, what, seven months ago and finally started listening to it last week. It is hard to listen to because you need to see this shit it is so uh, convoluted yeah. i don't I'm it's not the visual medium it's it's totally. not yeah. the medium that works at all it doesn't work yeah. at all yeah so i uh, i actually didn't know kaylin uh that um neil gaiman wasn't going to be closer to the actual show running because the most dangerous thing that can happen to a neil gaiman adaptation is to let neil gaiman near it uh, oh yeah. Um, so the fact that he won't be making those final cut decisions necessarily is very exciting. Clark, 
Uh, same, I mean, God. Um, Neil Gaiman is the um, narrator for the Audible series. So entirely connected to the nth degree. I mean, I believe he can read a book. Uh, I'm sure he's really great at it. Uh, <laughs> we don't know. Anyways, um, so moving on to the current Avengers series um, and some pretty big spoilers. Um, in this Avengers series, it's already got some, you know, wild stories uh, and history's been written and rewritten again. Um, there's a new major spoiler with Thor in Avengers 42. Uh, we'll let you pause for a second and skip ahead like 10 minutes if you don't want to hear it. So like now's the time. Go ahead and skip. Honestly, I don't see why it's such a big deal, but go ahead and skip if you want. Okay. The spoiler is that Frigga or Freya isn't Thor's mother. mother. And unlike the comics of the 80s, Gaia isn't Thor's mother either. Thor's mother is dun 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 the Madeline Pryor's. Oh, Phoenix. Boom. <laughs> I honestly, I, I honestly do not know why this is such a big deal because the Phoenix Force is actually Thor's mother in traditional Norse mythology. Um, so, what do you guys, what do you guys make of this, uh, Clark? One thing I thought was weird is that as of Empire, you know that kind of bland ass thing we had listened read in april um they redubbed him the da the daughter the son of gaia so like that was a big I, reveal yeah and so I'm like wait so they just immediately switch it back it was for it was freya for 15 years and then it was gaia for all of three months and now it's the fucking phoenix for for us number two so they had kids they had the child uh, thor how is he a million years old is that what we're getting out of this Sure. It's a, it's a very long-term pregnancy. I think it's just like, stop worrying about it. Is the what third they kind thing, of want you this, to do. This is, this is stupid and I hate it. <laughs> okay, Ryan, then Caitlin. It seems pretty clear that they're trying to reboot the Phoenix Force in a different way that like doesn't just automatically puts it in the X-Men realm for future use, whether whatever they do, comics, movies, whatever, it seems like they're trying to like pivot a little bit to get it away from the X-Men. With that all said, does that make Jean Grey like a weird stepmom of Thor? Or like, does that mean that Jean Grey was in like, was- No, was that Jean Grey is now- of Thor? Like, like when when Thor finds out, like his his mom, he realizes his mom is split from his dad. Yeah. Jean Grey is like her new girlfriend. Mm. Like, oh, mom came out later, like a million years later in life. Mm. <laughs> Caitlin, <laughs> um, I like like Clark and Ryan. I hate it. I, I think this is a <laughs> dumb retcon, um, and I don't understand why it's happening in Avengers, but not happening in Thor, the Donny Cates is writing, which we are reviewing on this podcast. Maybe it will be integrated with that, but it's it's weird that it's happening in this team book and not his own solo book. Uh, and part of me just wishes Don, Donny Cates is like, yeah, that's dumb, I'm gonna ignore it. And like, it's like, <laughs> it's his own, it's his own fucking thing, so. Well, and I was gonna say, I wonder if that's exactly the case, which is like, yeah, this is part of this plot line we'll never pick up again until like another 20 years from now. <laughs> like, it's, 
the I just I, it just yeah it seems completely off it's very stupid and sort of mismanaged especially I think Clark to your point about the Empire tie-in like what an iconic moment for that fucking storyline that wasn't even that good in the first place to just kind of <laughs> drop the ball on this one but the well, entire you're find out sounds bad essentially like this entire whole thing that they've been writing doesn't really feel like it's going anywhere based on the random spoilers we've been reading about how it affects other books we have what you're going to find out, Adam, is that Gaia is the Phoenix Force. <laughs> and that this is, they've just been like, you've never seen and, them photographed at the same time. And Phoenix Force, old man Logan actually went back in time, lived life as Odin, impregnated the Phoenix Force to have Thor, and then turned mm-hmm. into regular Wolverine. It's you know, not Adam, worse writing. I've long, Adam, I've long wondered why you haven't read comics, and now you've just proved it why you don't read comics. Why don't you don't write comics? <laughs> All right, um, let's talk about some of this week's issues. Uh, the comic issues this week, we had X-Factor number seven, Hellions number nine, Marauders King and Black crossover issue number one, King and Black, Black Knight number one, and then Venom number 33. Kalen, do you want to take us through the comics? Yeah, absolutely. So, it's, so we had two that were in the Reign of X, two that are in King of Black, and one that's a bit of like a, like a Venn diagram of the two. So we'll start with X-Factor number seven, writers Leah Williams, artist is David Baldion. They are the uh, regular team. Um, they are continuing the, uh, the kind of the, the mystery of Siren and what's happened to her. Um, we find out that she ha- has been possessed by Morgane, which is a, uh, a plot line that's uh, from the uh, previous version of X-Factor when Peter David was writing it. Uh, Speed comes back in the picture, who is actually... Uh, Scarlet Witch's other child uh, and in a very delightful scene where he reunites with his boyfriend um, um, Prodigy. Uh, Meanwhile, you have the most uh, asexual romance happening between uh, Dokken and Aurora and Northstar decides decides to be like the protective older brother even though he is a twin. Um, I know this issue was sort of controversial on this podcast, but I want to turn it over to you guys to talk about uh, what you thought about it, and then let's just have a quick discussion. Um, I know I brought it up a little bit with you, Kalen. Um, uh, the first four pages was bewilderingly confusing. Um, the fact that David, um, Prodigy, there's another version of him. Like, supposedly, Prodigy died in an attack on the Xavier Institute, which I had to Google, not Google, I literally went back through our, our comics the last year and a half to find out when the fuck that happened. So before, in a, he wasn't in Age of X-Men as some Reddit people said, he just wasn't in it, he was in the real world. Um, so when Wolfbane dies in, you know, the shitball Rosenberg uncanny X-Men run, he's at the funeral and then they have the funeral party. That's not what it's called, but sure. And- <laughs> Awake. Awake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then we don't see him again, period. And then supposedly there was an attack on the Xavier Institute where the uh, one attacked the Institute. One didn't attack the Institute. One attacked the Hellfire Mansion. So like the Xavier Institute didn't even fucking exist then. And then we immediately went into uh, X of, uh, you know, um, House of X and everything. So there hasn't been a, a Xavier Institute since he might have possibly died. So I don't know what the fuck they're talking about. It's How he possibly wrong. died in this place that just straight up doesn't exist. Um, so I don't know. Retcon, clearly a retcon. And I guess this isn't our version of Prodigy. 
this isn't the real version? If he doesn't remember making out with speed while the one explosion happened, I don't... And how bad are Cyclops of them not to be like, oh, sure, man, we might have died in this thing that never actually happened. I don't I don't understand any that, of what's happening there. That explanation is so helpful because I was like, you know, a gapped reader. I was thinking when I read that, that that was when, that was like the explosion when all the new X-Men died or whatever there was that yeah. like really... That's what I was like, in my head, I thought that was the situation. I was like, oh, okay, got it. I did not, that's ridiculous. That's fucking so stupid. I mean, the fact they mentioned Loa and Rain meant it was during that whole un uncanny X-Men shit fest because those two yeah. died then. But none of that shit happened. <clears throat> so there's been a dangling thread. Um, <clears throat> don't resurrect someone who's still alive. It's the, mm. ex the entire purpose of X-Factor Investigations. And we got this letter from the five to Prodigy saying, hey, we just kind of assumed you died with everyone. Uh, so we're like, we that's why we decided to resurrect you. And if this storyline becomes the place where that actually gets developed and used, it will be so infuriating because I don't think that this really has rise, risen to the level of the other stories in this kind of world. And <clears throat> I, I, just, I just think that there's probably so much more that could be interestingly explored. And I've got this gut reaction that it's going to become stupid and wasted. Uh, Kalen? So I'm probably going to be the voice of dissent, uh, dissension here, uh, voice of dissent, whatever, um, where I actually think that is something that they are going to explore. And I actually kind of like that idea because pre-X Factor, they were just basing the resurrections on hearsay and faith. They were just, it's, it was, it's like they were kind of just poking around in the dark. Uh, and so they might have two different prodigies out there. And I think that is actually a very exciting development. Um, and then the other thing I, you can disagree with me all you want, Brent. Um, I, this is like, I'm just- No, I'm just giving like, a single, I, but I've got a kind of point. Go on. Sorry. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, uh, but, and then the other thing I really liked about this issue, and I, I, I still think that the comic has its flaws. I think the, the Doc and Aurora romance just doesn't work for me at all um, because they have zero chemistry. But this issue, um, more so than any other issue except for the first one, actually made me believe in the mission of X Factor. I was like, okay, this is what the book should be about them exploring what happened to Siren uh, is is within their scope. And it completely got derailed by the Mojoverse stuff in the second and third issue, the yeah. Ten of Swords crossover issue, which I actually thought was pretty good. Uh, but it's I think that's been the my problem with the book is that it hasn't been able to unfurl like a procedural like it really should. That's what the book should be. So it's not perfect, but I enjoyed this issue very much. Uh, my, wigging, my wagging finger was just, it's not that I dislike the idea or don't think it should be explored. It's that I worry about Leah Williams being the person who explores it. Yeah. I, I think it's otherwise an interesting concept and that this would be a perfect example for it, theoretically, in practice, given how X Factor has been executed, I just think it might be wasted. Ryan? It's yeah. I mean, it, it, I I'm kind of in the Kalen camp of like I didn't truly hate this because they introduced some stuff that I thought were kind of 
fun stuff like speed interacting with North Star. That's an interaction that I would like to hear about and see. Execution, not so much. Um, just like the follow-up of Prodigy and Speed being together, I good idea, follow-up, just not that good. Just all these ideas are really smart and I'm intrigued by it. Even like Madrox saying like I used to run X Factor, stuff like that. It's just like dialogue's not that good, plotting's not that good, and it's. Uh, but I like all the ideas. It's just it's it's tough sometimes because it's because yeah. you just read another comic and you're so enthralled and you you don't have to be told what is going on. And this it's another comic that's a little bit like that, and it makes me it makes me sad honestly. Clark, um, what two I've things? Said it, I've said it before. If I read a recap of this, I'd find it really interesting. It is yeah. awful. I'm so impressed that she can write a character so wrong and only have in one line. Havoc was the, the, that <laughs> line. That was not him. That was not Madrox saying a goddamn thing. It, 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 every single thing that happens in this pisses me off. Like, I not hate this series. That's for sure. It, to me, is worse than Excalibur, which is shocking. No. I, I just, I hate this. I absolutely hate it. You on that train too, Clark, I think. I just don't. The writing is terrible. But if I read, like... A, a one minute recap i'd be sold on this issue in a hot second no. i'd be like i want to read this and then i would um burn it Kaylee. <laughs> um i i'm gonna quibble with you a little bit like yeah the havoc felt very off off character from what we've seen in hellion which we'll talk about in a second but that felt like madrox to me it felt yeah, like peter david madrox one the way you guys that like i used to say one time one time was not no I think he would have said, "I would have run the team better." That sounds like Jamie Madrox. No, 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 not that part. It was the, it was the, that was one time. Blah blah blah. That was not fucking one time. That was many in situations. You had a fucking, well, not child with her, but child with her. It just seemed incredibly dismissive of their relationship. So why don't we move on then to Hellions number nine, Zeb Wells and Steven Segovia, which are the regular team. Uh, we see that uh, Mastermind is back in. Uh, back on the main stage. He poisons uh, Mr. Sinister with actually some of the most expensive tea ever. Uh, it is actually worth like 30 times the weight of gold. It is that it is that expensive. Uh, and Mr. Mr. Sinister has his cape back. So, hey, good for him. Uh, I love that um, Sage sends him on the mission and they are all like, yeah, pff, we don't give a fuck about him. And she's like, no, 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 you have to, you have to do this. This is not optional for you. Uh, we see a reborn orphan maker, and he's going through his terrible, uh, not terrible twos, but he's turning into quite the teenager uh, because he's definitely rebelling against Nanny, and Nanny has a new child that she is trying to focus all her attention as, uh, to as well. And at the very end, we see that uh, Arcade is back, and I kind of wish I hadn't read solicitations for mm -hmm. future months because the, the uh, last page was sort of spoiled for me in, in that regard. But an enjoyable issue, not my favorite issue of Hellions, uh, but still even uh, my least favorite issue of Hellions means that it's still probably one of the best comics coming out right now. So Ryan, we'll start with you. Right. Um, I, I, I'm just so surprised that Marvel took this long to feature Mastermind in any sort of way because they've been dying to use him again. I think like every, like we have Lady Mastermind and we have Mastermind, which is the other master. There's too many Masterminds basically. But like it's... Uh, I'm surprised the original took so long to come back. So it was pretty exciting to see him in any sort of capacity. Um, with that said, I like, <laughs> Zeb Wells is just so good. 
uh, just such a fun writer. And I really like that uh, he wants to be called Pete now and not right. his other name. Yeah. Just, and it's, it's Zeb Wells just doing a little, just a little poke at that Kate wants to be known as Kate instead of Kitty. And I love that. Just, just giving it to him a little bit. And I, I appreciate that. Brent? Mm-hmm. Brent, I'd love uh, to hear Yeah, I'll just, I'll just quick uh, so like certain characters like Wild Child, for example, or, you know, there's a lot of characters who I was very much not familiar with. And I think that Hellions, or thought was stupid. And I think Hellions has done a really good job of highlighting how characters like that can be really well featured. Like I am super interested in uh, now Orphan Maker and Egg Woman. I just think like I like them so Nanny. much. Yeah. Nanny. Woman. Clark. Woman now. Clark. Um, I think it's I, I love the fact that you can take two characters that have in the past had very similar voices, Sinister and uh, Mastermind, and like just have them totally different sounding, but at least have the same kind of scummy yeah, and be gay in such different ways, kind of, you know. Yeah, exactly. I I love the fact that you could get their personalities so quickly without ever having to, I don't know, before I would, you know, classify them voice-wise as very similar. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to Marauders, uh, King Black number one, which is a one-shot, but it's written by Jerry Dugan, who is the regular writer, and the artist is Luke Ross, an artist who's been around a long time, but I haven't seen his work in quite some time. Uh, it is a very perfunctory a king and black um tie-in issue because it mostly is about like human trafficking uh on the high seas um (laughs) and you know you've got uh kate's team of the marauders basically trying to rescue a ship they find out that the cargo is actually humans uh they want to bring the humans to koa uh both emma frost and magneto say well we've got another solution we'll take you to uh like Island M or whatever it's called where Magneto in his giant size issue of X-Men creates that beautiful construct with all the, the sentinel faces. Um, I will say uh, the one thing I enjoyed about this issue is for the first time in a long time, we actually see the Marauders acting as a team versus it just being the Emma and Kate show, which don't get me wrong, I've enjoyed, uh, but it felt like, Oh, this is fine. Um, it was just, it didn't really feel like King of Black was even necessary except for, the you know the the weird bat dragon type beasts that's just you know around and Lockheed got to be kind of a badass. Uh, but what did y'all think, Adam? I thought it had a good core message. I appreciated obviously the anti-human trafficking message and all the discussion that went along with that. It did feel like a really bad like '90s PSA comic where I was like, is this just a comic about how human trafficking is not good? Like. Everything just felt very off. It was kind of a huge dead for me. And I was just I was just disappointed all around, especially as a tie-in uh, for King and Black, which I'm like relatively enjoying. And especially because we had a much better tie-in in my eyes with uh, Black Knight this week. Clark? If I had to list my one through five of the ones I like this week for comics, this would be my least favorite. <laughs> yeah. Like I just screamed about X-Factor number seven, but at least stuff happened that was interesting. At least there's something I can talk about. This is boring plotting. It I don't know. It they were like, oh, let's go, you know, save Cyclops and Storm. And the fact that they even had a scene with Beast where he's like, basically, 
you're gonna have to kill him at the la last chance. Why did we need that at all? Like, oh yeah, Beast is a piece of shit, but now let's go off on this other tangent that kept being like, no, we need to go save them. We need to go, oh, oh never mind, these people. Blah, 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 blah. Nothing, it, I don't, the characters don't work well together. Iceman is just there. He and Beast and Beast, Bishop, they're just there. Everyone is just there. Their, their connections are boring and non-existent. I was, it was, yeah, a big pile of blah. Brent. Uh, I will say, this issue really does show how blurry the line is between don't murder human beings and it's perfectly fine to send them in the desert to die. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. That's funny. I mean, right. just talk about a filler issue. This is like nonsense. I was like, did my grandmother like dictate this to a third party? Like, what? <laughs> who wrote this? It's crazy. And then... The, I, the only part that I actually liked was they showed that Cyclops and Storm were like possessed by, you know, Venom, whatever. And then Kate at one point goes, you, nobody is more important to me than Storm. And you're like, there was a bunch of other people too. Okay. <laughs> but great shade to Cyclops. I like it. Okay. Weren't you so glad to see uh, Kate uh, looking like Julia Louis-Dreyfus in Seinfeld? <laughs> <laughs> Her hair won't stop changing. I love it. It's like you got to you got to build a wall, the wall, the wall. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's move on to a better uh, King in Black one shot, uh, which is Black Knight number one. It's a one shot. It is basically a backdoor pilot for his upcoming miniseries. You've got uh, crazy ass Dane Whitman, um, and it's written by Simon Spurrier and uh, uh, drawn by Jesus Saiz, who's doing just stellar work. Uh, but you got crazy ass Dane Whitman fighting off these uh, these beasts. Um, he ends up uh, getting transported to Shanghai. He interacts with uh, Chinese heroes Arrow and uh, the Swordsman. Uh, they have like a lot of wonderful banter. I love that they just kind of shit on him, including his uh, very like sort of purple prose that he uses as his narration. I love that like there's a little bit of like fourth wall breaking right there. Um, but it just all it did is really made me excited for the miniseries. Um, mm -hmm. And also, I think Simon Spurrier is a phenomenal writer. He's going to be writing uh, Way of X, which is the Nightcrawler-led uh, X book that's going to be coming out soon. Uh, what did you guys think? As, right. as right. Kaylin and I both said, oh, sorry. It, it, okay. I, no, I, I want to know what your thoughts are, Clark. That's all I said. I, I liked it until I did. I, I excuse me. I didn't like it until I liked it. And I, I think you're supposed. To, that's supposed to be the case. You, you're supposed to think the writing is too bombastic and annoying and stupid because the character is bombastic, annoying, and stupid until the second half when you realize that that's the point. Yeah, I liked yeah. it. I thought it was fun. Um, I, I also, I it made me be excited for a fun supporting cast in the possible upcoming series too, because this is I like I like these characters already. And I know they've shown up a couple other times in other places, but I'd like to see a little bit more of them. They're fun. Yeah, I thought the goofy narration was great. And then it only got better once he kind of came back down to earth and then was spending time with Arrow. Just a lot of good, um, just a lot of good, I just loved it. I thought it was really fun. I'd love to meet that mini series if that's what it's gonna be in terms of quality. Yeah, and I uh, it makes me want to read both Arrow and uh, Swordsman. I have not read those uh, series at all. And they're on Marvel Unlimited, so. Guess what I'm doing after this podcast is over. Uh, so our last book was Venom number 33 by Donnie Cates and the artist is Ilban Coelho. 
which is, it is the quieter part of the last issue of King in Black, uh, where you see uh, Eddie Brock along with Rex, uh, and then a, a semi-resurrected uh, Flash Thompson, uh, all in the hive, you know, kind of like having their conversation. They get to see what Dylan is doing from their, their, their point of view of how all the heroes are being uh, essentially uh, uh, de-venomized or de-nullified rather, um, which was a lot of fun. And then um, it's a fine issue. And then it just sort of ends with exactly where Null had Venom at the end of the first part of <laughs> King of the Black. I was like, okay, I guess we've come full circle. It's like, it's fine. It's taking me three minutes to read. And it just feels like, back matter material for the regular King in Black miniseries. But what did you guys think? Nope, you're right. Brett, yeah, I love the yeah. Spider-Man moment. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You don't have to fight. I'm going to tell you something that people don't tell the heroes who feel they have this responsibility. We'll figure out some way to do this. You don't have to do it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was nice. Yeah. I, He's I great. Spider-Man's great. Black. I miss Flash Thompson. Me too. Yeah. No, he's he awesome. was uh, he was he was great, and he was really well written in this issue. Like he's just this, like I'm just you know hey I'm not even a hero I'm just a soldier but like no you're actually pretty fucking heroic dude. Mm -hmm. So that was that was our comics this week. Um, a little bit of controversy on Homeless Superior, but uh, mm -hmm. Brent, I'll turn it back over to you. So, uh, Clark, do you want to do, uh, I believe you have something. Yeah, that we got a, watch bit, out. a bit of something. So, it snowed this week, obviously, which is very exciting because DC didn't have anything for two years. And so I wanted to play a little game of who would be best at different snow-related activities. Iceman. Bobby Iceman. Bobby Iceman. <laughs> Bobby Iceman. And, and you know what? He's not allowed. You cannot use Bobby Iceman or Storm. Anyways. Damn. All right, so we'll start off with some normal ones. Who 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 do you think's the best shoveler? Who would be Forge. really good at shoveling? Forge. Colossus. Colossus. Colossus for sure, yeah. He'd be pulling some. Yeah, and it, some woman in a purple dress would be handing him a cup of coffee while she's like standing <laughs> in a bathroom. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I feel like he would just take a farm plow and walk it around the uh, island, cleaning up uh, roads left and right. That is the right answer, because yeah. he's so dedicated to it. He's like, I just want to make sure it's all done for you. So you don't have to worry about it in the morning. He has Other the experience in Siberia. Other people would be better at it, but I think he's the one who would want to do it and be like, you yeah. know what, I can handle Happily. this. I well, know you guys can create some sort of psionic thing that'll just knock it out of the way immediately, but I want to do this. Also in like keeping it within the family, what if Magic also just did two portals as a snowblower? So she just kept a portal out and kept moving it while the other portal was like shooting to the side to keep shooting the snow <laughs> All the snow just ends up in limbo and all the demons are like, hey. <laughs> yeah, it's just yeah, it's crazy. Uh, have we seen snow in Krakoa? And would it be Snakoa or Krasnoa? <laughs> Great Krakoa question. Is like Adam uh, it would actually be a rock snow. A rock oh, God. That's, that's an rock snow for me. Uh, no, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a south, it's an island in the South Pacific. Why would there be snow? The mountains. Hawaii yeah. has it. Yeah, the mountains that we've <laughs> seen so far are volcanic, though. They're All right, just, just and... get to the next Anyways, task. Nah. task. Colossus. So what, what would be a good tag team snowball fight? Ooh. 
Ooh. Nightcrawler has to be on, I think, because yes, he sure. would be like the best at, at Snowball. Um, great grip with his weird fingers. Yeah. Lockheed. Lockheed because he just burn, melt them. The, yeah. Ooh, uh, I, I'm thinking about this like from a physics perspective. If you had telekinesis, could you actually put good snowballs together, do you think? I feel like that would take a lot of work. So. I yeah. don't think so, honestly. It's impossible. It's the one weakness <laughs> of telekinetics. <laughs> I thought about that a lot. No, I don't think it's possible. Uh, yeah, the oh, Phoenix Force is actually trying to make snowballs and they just keep melting. <laughs> uh, Spiral could be really good because she's got six hands. So she yeah. could, make, could that's really that's cool. that's a good one. Fast. So what I meant carnation. When I when I said snowball fight, uh, tag team snowball fight, I meant that thing when you come in someone's mouth and then they make out with you. That's what I meant. Okay. Hey! Still Nightcrawler and Lockheed. Yeah, yeah. still Nightcrawler and Spiral. I don't know what Spiral's you want got from six us. Hands. She's got six hands. Coincidentally, also something telekinetics can't do. Right. Yeah, it's like that. Sorry, they have two weaknesses. Yeah, it's it's jizz and snow. Those are the two things they can't touch. So, so who do you think would be the best ice skater? Probably Kate. anal. Just because anal. Because he's a like, gay. Why do you want me to say? You know why. Um he's, he's light on his feet. Nightcrawler, probably, right? No. Oh, no, maybe. That you gotta get especially uh, fitted shoes, though. Yeah, that would be hard. Okay, so who do you think would would make the best urine stream in the snow, like well, a dog right. peeing, or when you write your own? Yeah, they have to write their own name. So who'd well, be the and best? I also say I think Wolverine would be a good answer for the last one as well if he was skating on his hands. <laughs> <laughs> Wolverine's the best urine urine streamer. Uh, yeah, yeah he or, drinks oh, a lot. Oh, what, no, what ink? What? No, ink just has tattoos on him. He doesn't actually. Yeah, he doesn't create ink. Yeah, out of his uh, penis. Adam, we will never use ink for any answer on this podcast. No, he's ever. technically not a mutant, so you're not welcome on Krakoa. Which I only want to die. <laughs> I only have three more. Who who would be oh, the best it? at building snowmen? Forge is a good. Forge mm. is a good snowman builder. Honey Badger, Scout, just because it's cute. Uh, just some kids no, having fun. Yeah. yeah. No, no, what would their snow people it. look like? Would it be I feel like Magneto would get really competitive about it. But he would like crumple people up and make them the snow people. <laughs> just, just put snow <laughs> around it real quick. Yeah. <laughs> He's ripping satellites out of the sky and just putting snow on them. Right. <laughs> cheating okay so two more so when i was 15 <laughs> i was in a snowball fight at night on the ski weekend and yeah. this girl and i like snowball fight bumped into each other and then she gave me a blow job so <laughs> who would be best at as i said uh, the, uh, snow fucking is what i wrote down here who's okay. best at snow fucking is that different from the snow job one or the snow, the no, tag team? No, this is just snow? whatever you want. This is penetration. Okay. <laughs> it is, Anal, obviously. It's not the Anal. mouth thing. It's just the everything thing. Or oh, anything. I would. Uh, I think Beast would be really good because then after he's done, you could still use him as a blanket. It would be very. Yeah. Good. I feel like two characters would have sex on top of Beast. <laughs> he's like a pro. <laughs> <rock>. <laughs> like he's like the bearskin rug. Yeah. <laughs> 
Do you have to like n- numb him so that he can't move? <laughs> just get to the last one. Yeah, just do the last one, Clark. <laughs> okay, so you know how um, in Russia in the olden days they just shoot people in the back of the head in Siberia. Who yeah, is the best? Yeah, yeah. Who's the best head shooter and vice versa? Mm. This is only tangentially related to snow. (laughs) No, no, no. This is this is about uh, this is about semen. Domino would be the best shooter, Um, and who would be who dies a lot? I don't fucking know. I think uh, 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 Charles Xavier would be great at catching a bullet in the head. Oh yeah, a couple of yikes! Too soon, Grant. Too soon. I'm gonna throw out Gray Crow is a great shot. He loves to shoot people in the head. One. And then, I mean, sure enough, we know who he wants to shoot in the head, Empath. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna yeah. say him. That works. That's it. That's it. What a okay. fun day. Perfect. Loved it. Um, that's been our issue. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Twitter at Homo Superior X, Instagram at Homo Superior Podcast. We've been Homo Superior, the experts on figuring out the horrifying implications of your favorite movies, at least as far as how it relates to babies. Thanks for listening.